Welcome to the Gerontological Society of America Momentum Discussion Podcast Series, where researchers, educators, and practitioners stimulate dialogue on trends with great momentum to advance gerontology. The content of the podcast today was developed by GSA, and this program has received a grant from Nestle Health Sciences. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Roger Fielding, the Associate Director of the Jean Mayer USDA Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging, and I'm also the lead scientist for the Nutrition, Exercise, Physiology, and Sarcopenia team. I'm excited to be your host for this series of podcasts that are based on GSA's What's Hot publication, Cellular Nutrition and Its Influence on Age-Associated Cellular Decline. Researchers have identified several molecular pathways at the cellular level, including defects in mitochondrial function which appear to influence both aging and age-related chronic disease. These cellular changes associated with aging are cumulatively referred to as age-associated cellular decline, or AACD. Identifying AACD risk factors and intervening with cellular nutrients early in the aging process before major mobility disabilities and disease-driven limitations emerge could really help improve overall healthy aging. Today, we will explore how to apply what is currently known about AACD to the care of patients and older adults in clinical practice. To discuss this with me, I'm so pleased to introduce Dr. Nathan Labrasser, who's a professor and co-chair of research in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Nathan is also the scientific director of the Office of Translation to Practice, the co-director of the Paul Glenn Center for the Biology of Aging Research, and plays a leadership role in the COGOD Center on Aging at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Roger. Great to be here and uh, take part in this exciting discussion. Yeah, we're so glad you could join us. Well, just to start off, what types of questions do you hear from older folks that relate to age-associated cellular decline and people's desire to preserve their health and well-being as they age? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there are a couple of elements to unpack there. One is older adults are often interested in what can impact their trajectory of aging. I think most individuals realize that there are 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds who are incredibly active and physically fit, very robust, uh, resilient to age-related diseases and geriatric syndromes, seem to have lower susceptibility to challenges such as COVID, while their peers may have multimorbidity and a number of conditions associated with advanced age. And the question is, what distinguishes these individuals? So there's a large public interest now in the distinction between chronological age, what we can learn from our driver's license or our birth certificate, and our biological age, which is a much more complicated question and highly related to the topic of interest, which is age-associated cellular decline. So where does age-associated cellular decline fit in your conversations with people about healthy aging? I mean, I think you've started to talk about this, but but what is it that you tell them about this, this process? Yeah, so I, I think there is a tendency for us to think about aging only in the context of individuals over the age of a 65 or 70 or 80. But the truth is, age-associated cellular decline probably starts before 
conception, or if not at the time of conception. So we really think of aging as a lifelong process. And throughout the life course, there are a number of things that can determine the health and function of our cells. And when we think about aging, we specifically think about different forms of damage that our cells accumulate over time and our ability to repair that damage. So when we think about age-related diseases, we now link them to really the accumulation of this damage over time. And it's really a story about what determines our trajectory. Is it just genes, environment? Is it behaviors? Is it nutritional activities? Is it sleep habits? The answer is really yes to all of those things. But we're really quite interested in getting a better understanding of what influences the rate of damage accumulation. Yeah, I think we'll get to some of those interventions in a minute. But I just want to ask a very specific question. If I really want to know about this and I go in to see my doctor, is there a test I can ask the doctor to do? Well, that's a great question. At a cellular level, we're getting there and we can kind of dig into that uh, a lot more. But as you know, right, simple parameters of physical health and function, cardiac health and function, metabolic health and function, immune health and function are highly reflective, I think, of our biological age. So on the physical side, your team is really has profound expertise in measuring things like strength and physical function, our mobility, gait speed. You know, on the metabolic side, it might be a glucose tolerance test or insulin sensitivity. On the cardiac side, you know, we typically all get EKGs when we go into the clinic, but more sophisticated measures may tell us more about our cardiac health and function and, and pulmonary function. We can do uh, so. There's a number of different tests and measures at the physiological side that can kind of show us the manifestations of this biological age. That's excellent. So in one of the previous podcasts, we talked a little bit about diet and sort of things like extremes of diet, like caloric restriction. But is it true that just like your mother told you, if you eat more fruits and vegetables or adopt healthy eating patterns, is that going to improve some of these markers of aging? So I think there are a couple elements there. We know for sure that nutrient excess is really pouring fuel on the aging fire, if you will, that nutrient excess and obesity accelerate the biology of aging without question. We also know that healthy nutrition patterns have a profound preventative effect on the accumulation of age-related damage. And we're learning a lot more about how to not only leverage that knowledge for prevention of aging-related diseases and geriatric syndromes, but how can we apply that in later life to even to, to, to delay that progression, or in fact, even reverse it. It's good stuff. Are there any specific nutrients that I should start thinking about taking or we're not there yet? I don't think we're there yet. I I, I do think that um, we're learning a lot about different parameters of what is in the diet, the timing of the diet, a lot of interest now in different dietary interventions ranging from the timing of day that we eat and how long we should fast after that. And I, I do think we're gaining insights in how those nutritional patterns may really optimize regeneration and rejuvenation of, of, of damaged tissues and organs and cells. I think this is, re- this is really remarkably important when you think about the idea that maybe 60 plus percent of older adults are either overweight or obese. This point you had mentioned about overnutrition, I think it's not from a public health standpoint, it's not a small problem, right? That's right. We often kind of use this phrase of what concerns us clinically as a healthcare institution is as we witness population 
aging collide with the epidemic of obesity. It is scary to think about the number of overweight and obese youth and what what their trajectory of aging is actually going to be and how that's going to impact both healthcare and and just the the population. So, So more to learn on that, I think. You know, obviously something near and dear to both of our hearts, you know, what about exercise and all this? Good, bad? It, we're really in this era now of we've developed a reasonable understanding of this age-associated cellular decline. And now that we've been able to somewhat define it in its different features, the big question and the question that has the potential to transform really human health is can we intervene? And as we view the interventions that are available to us today, I may not be able to prescribe a specific medication or nutrient, but we know that exercise has profound effects on this underlying biology. And it's really quite remarkable. Exercise has the capacity to protect against damage to our DNA or the instruction manuals in our cells. It has the capacity to promote the turnover of old and damaged proteins by activating the garbage disposal within our cells, something that we refer to as autophagy. It has the capacity to improve mitochondrial health and function, which is really quite remarkable and critical to the health and function of cells. And the beauty of this is that this is just not something that is effective in our youth or in middle age, but it's even very effective in later life. And there's more and more data to support that concept. No, that's great stuff. And I think it's something that we we want to learn more about. But in your own work, it seems to me, haven't you actually begun to understand how exercise really influences some of these biological signatures of aging? Yeah, we have actually. And and that's really been encouraging where we've been able to look really under the hood within a cell and see how exercise can promote both repair and prevent damage. And that that's really encouraging. And the question is, who do we choose then in later life to administer these interventions? Or how do we determine the responsiveness of the individuals to these interventions? And in preclinical models, such as mice or rats or, or other organisms, it's really easy to collect different tissues and examine them at a very molecular level. But what we're excited about now for human application is the development of biomarkers. And these are circulating factors that are easily accessible that reflect the extent to which you've experienced this age-associated cellular decline. So features such as senescence or mitochondrial dysfunction or impaired protein turnover. And our ability to simply take a, a blood draw or a urine sample or saliva and examine the extent to which your system has undergone aging is very informative. And, and we're really excited to see how this may help guide interventions such as nutrient interventions or exercise to improve the health and function of older adults. You know, we all see these advertisements for things like spas that are offering NAD infusions and other things. And then also a plethora now of sort of kind of over-the-counter aging tests that companies are sort of promoting. But, you know, what do you tell, tell older folks about those sort of things if they ask you about them specifically? I think on the positive side, we have to recognize that we now have the world's attention, right? We have the attention of not just academics and and medical centers, but certainly the commercial private sector, I think is a good thing because they bring resources to the game and I think will help us move the science forward. Having said that, we are at such an early stage in this that we need to be patient and humble 
and really do clinical trials in a, a methodical and an informative way that tells us how effective some of these interventions may be. And things like NAD supplements or Rapalogs or metformin, there's a lot of promise out there, but I think we need to be cautious to make sure that we do no harm. But, you know, I think the other part of this is that the solution or the answer to some of these questions about are some of these supplements effective, it's not 20 years away, but it's more in the more immediate future that I think we'll have a good grasp on can these be beneficial for the health and function of older adults. Yeah, obviously the science is evolving, but, it, you know, it's not that long ago that you think about people just sort of thought that it was normal for people as they got older to have a decline in their cognitive function. That was just sort of a normally accepted consequence of aging. I think now we we acknowledge that that is not always the case and is this can be a serious condition or disease. And I think the same is true with people slowing down as they age. We, we acknowledge that that's something that potentially can be intervenable. So I think this point about really trying to understand increasing awareness and understanding what the evidence base is for therapies to treat these conditions of aging is going to be really important. Yeah, and I think that's we shouldn't trivialize that. You know, we've gone from thinking about aging as being this rigid construct that is not malleable to this new radical idea that we can actually intervene on the fundamental biology of aging. And, you know, for a long time, people have been cautious to endorse that approach because they feel it's immoral or there's some type of inappropriateness to, to, to intervening there. But but when you step back and recognize that aging is by far the greatest risk factor for the overwhelming majority of chronic diseases, ranging from cancer to Alzheimer's disease to cardiovascular disease, no one pauses to say that we should target those conditions, right? So I, I, I'm really excited about this change and really the premise that we can perhaps do something about the underlying biology. In the United States, we spend millions of dollars on drugs that extend lifespan in some diseases by months. Yes. You know, when we have this opportunity to think about not only extending lifespan, but extending health span and quality of life by years, I think I think we do a society a great service when we think about those things. Yeah, without question, right? We're talking about the health and well-being of, and function of our, our of individuals and our loved ones, but then just the profound impact on society and and the cost of care, and, you know, the, the ability to compress morbidity into the very final months or days of life would really be remarkable. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Nathan, for a terrific discussion today. This podcast is one of three on the topic of cellular nutrition and its influence on age-associated cellular decline. The other two podcasts focus on mitochondria and aging with Anthony Molina and nutrition and cellular aging with Dr. Sai Das. For more in-depth information on the topic, please refer to the GSA What's Hot publication, Cellular Nutrition and Its Influence on Age-Associated Cellular Decline. Thank you and have a great day. To learn more about the Gerontological Society of America, visit geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging cultivate excellence in interdisciplinary aging research and education to advance innovations in practice and policy. For more information about GSA, visit geron.org.